You know, it's interesting that um, every Saturday I'm like clockwork. I have a reputation of having clean cars. And people will move their car away from me or confess that they haven't washed their car in two years or whatever. And every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., I spend two hours washing my car, both cars. And it's like a ritual thing that I do, and I enjoy doing it. It's like when you're old, you like to tinker in the garage and all. That's what old people do. And they tinker in the garage and tinker in the car. But in some way, the Lord really speaks to me. When I'm out by myself in that garage, washing a car that doesn't take your mind engaged to wash a car. And all of a sudden, something came to my mind, and I said, okay, Google, open up the app. And I put it on the screen. Everybody has a deep need to be loved for who they are so they can be loved into what God created them to be. And I really believe the Lord inspired that to me because he encouraged me to continue the same direction that we're going in this church. Restoration and change happens in our lives because of the love, not the judgmental. It really does. And so I, lo I look at the news and news in our society, the United States that we live in, we, we are so divided. And it's interesting, even if you try to play the middle game or, or don't want to get involved, people are determined to put you on the left side or put you on the right side. And if you notice in a lot of discussions that we get into, a lot of talking that we do, that, that basically we get angry. If you notice that, like, why are you getting so angry because this is your view on life. And so therefore, when we get angry about it, and anger manifests in us, then we look at the person that we're talking to, and we justify our anger. Now, I don't know about you, if you get angry, all of us have buttons that are called justified and not justified. And if we really think about our anger, is it really justified or is it just or unjustified? But somehow in our culture, we're leaning towards on the justified. It doesn't matter who, what we're angry about. We're right, and you are an idiot. And you're wrong. And so this is where, this is probably the hardest message in this series to deal with. Because when we want to be right, our identity is so caught up in our views. And so therefore, we take it personally when somebody disagrees with us. And so, therefore, it reminds me of Jonah, because Jonah was mad as hell. He was frustrated. He was frustrated with God. He was frustrated with, you know, he was a prophet from God, and he didn't want to tell the Ninevites to repent because he wanted the Ninevites to be <laughs> fried and burned and destroyed. And so, if you look on the screen, Jonah thought his anger was a righteous and thus justified. But his anger was really self-righteous, and it was based on his limited judgmental thinking, and it was based on, the on his perspective and not God's. Now, it's interesting. If you look at your anger, is it God's perspective or is it your perspective? Is it justified or unjustified? Oh, you don't want to do that. And so remember how Jonah was so ticked off that he went out and pouted. And I don't know if you were a kid or said, I'm not talking to you and you pout. You hope someone will change their mind. Okay, okay, you get your own way. 
and so that never worked with my mom, so I never pouted. Uh, I tried it with Jennifer, don't work either. And so here's the Lord, here's he's pouting, he's mad. And the Lord said this, he responded, can you imagine God coming up to you and say, is your anger a good thing? Oh, okay, okay, okay. So when God asks a question, it just went to this core. You know when it goes to the core, you don't want to talk about it? Jonah didn't say a thing. He walked away. Sometimes the truth can hurt. When I'm angry, I want you to acknowledge my anger and justify my anger. I don't want anyone speaking, don't get angry. What do you, you know? But is your anger real? See, this is where it fascinates me because Jonah, and get this, Jonah was a prophet of God. He had a prophetic gift from God, but he had this crazy view of God that was not of the real God. So you can be gifted in speaking. You can have gifts that the God has given you, but still have this warped view of God. And so Jonah had created a God in his mind which was an illusion. This God, which Jonah believed in and spoke for, was not the real God. It was just one which allowed Jonah to believe that God loved some people while hating others. You know that Westboro Baptist Church, God hates everybody? Fascinates me. One of my dreams is that they would protest in my church because then I would know that I'm doing the gospel. Because there's a saying here, and I'll read it, this is from Anne Lamarck. She said, you can safely assume you created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Isn't that crazy? Do we create God in our own image? Is God on your side and against everybody else? Am I right spiritually? And so this is where God has taken Jonah's ego-based thought, thinking, and challenged him, and challenged him on his way he processes, and then God gets to the root of the issue, and this is where none of us like to get to the root of our issues, none of us. Jonah's core issue, preventing him from being one of God, God and others, was his thinking, and the way Jonah was thinking was at the root of his anger. You have to understand, anger, resentment, bitterness always needs to be fueled by the way you think. There's no way. How do you let go of bitterness? Stop thinking about it. But man, with my anger or bitterness, I can play it over and over. And I, it, that's fuel. That's fuel for that bitterness to burn. And I go, burn, baby, burn. Because Jennifer and I are pyromaniacs. We love fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so we see this. So what, what, this is what God does. This is crazy. God begins to interrogate him. He starts challenging the way Jonah thinks and the way he processes things. Jonah did not answer the question. He avoided it. Doing what Adam and Eve did when they were exposed to God's question after they had eaten the forbidden fruit. He went and built himself a place to hide out from the heat he felt from God's tough questioning. Not only that, he sat in this little shelter hoping that God would change his mind, hoping that he would do it. 
But here, watch this. Jonah in verse 6. <laughs> I tell you, the word of God cracks me up. And this is funny to me. It says, then the Lord God provided the shrub. Now he's out in the desert pouting. You, you know, big bottom lips sticking out, I guess. And then the Lord provided a shrub, and it grew over Jonah, providing shade for his head and saving him from his misery. Jonah was very happy about the shrub, but then God provided a worm the next day, a dawn, and attacked the shrub so that it died. I'm telling you, this is funny. Then the sun rose. Then God provided this like Santa Ana wind, dry east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head, and he became faint, and he begged that he might die, saying, it's better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, get this, is your anger about the shrub a good thing? Okay, come on. This is messing with Jonah. I mean, I, if I could punch God at that time, but you can't because he's all everywhere. So it's like he's toying with him now. Is your anger good? Now he's mad at the shrub. Now, I love the symbolism here because this is part of the story. When you go and hide in our twisted thinking, when you go and hide in your bitterness, in your resentment, in your racism thinking, in your prejudice thinking, it, there's no relief. There's no relief in your mind. And you're just angry at the world, you're just angry at everything. And so like the shade over Jonah's head, the barrier between us and God is usually coming from the thoughts up in our heads. God allows circumstances to strip away our faulty ego, based thinking to expose us to the light and fire of God's love, which is simultaneously painful and purifying. Exposure to bright light is blinding up first. Exposure to fire is painful, but it has the power to burn away the barriers which keeps us from being one with God and each other. Now, if you notice, here after Jonah's shade was removed, God asked that question. Is your anger about the shrub a good thing? And then Jonah said, yes, my anger is good, even to the point of death. Do you think they got this saying, I'm dead right from this? <laughs> I mean, think about it. When people say, I'm dead right. Well, I'd rather be dead than wrong, right? That's what he's saying. I mean, some, some of us get so locked into this way of thinking, it's just crazy. And so before Jonah built the shelter, God asked him, was your anger a good thing? And he didn't answer it. The second time he answered, but he answered it, angry in a stubborn tantrum. And so basically what happened, Jonah had control of what's going on, didn't answer God. Then the second one, he was wishing he died. Then the heart of the matter came out. Then all these circumstances, the real Jonah started coming out. And Jonah probably could not imagine moving forward without, some, without something that is such a huge part of his identity. It went against everything that had always been part of who he was. His reasoning probably went like this. He was an Israelite. He spoke to, for an Israel's God. Ninevites were Israel's enemies, so therefore they were God's enemies. Therefore Israel's gods should destroy those enemies. I am right, they, the Ninevites, are wrong. So do you see how God's challenging his culture, who he is, 
as a person. And this is hard for us because this is our identity. This is what happened to me. This is who I am. I am my pain. I am my anger. I am my bitterness. I am this. And God challenges us. See, God was not angry at Jonah's anger. God already knew how he felt. But God knows it's a progress. We finally had to figure out and admit what is going inside of me. What is going on in my heart? If Jonah was to be honest, he would have said, I am ticked off at you, God. I do not like what you're doing. Can you imagine God showing mercy to someone that you hate? Or God blessing someone that you don't like? And you're ticked? Am I the only one that that happens to? <laughs> okay. Why, why, why? Look the pain that this guy's caused me, but yet he looks like he's flourishing. Why, why him? You know? And so this is where the last words of the book of Jonah, it's interesting to me, who gets the last work, words in the book of Jonah was God. Jonah, the last words he says in scripture, I wish I was dead. That's all we know. We don't even know what happened to Jonah. But this is interesting. Look at verse 10. But the Lord said, and, and get the symbolism here, you pitied the shrub for which you didn't work and which you didn't raise. It grew up in a night and perished in a, in a night. Yet for my part, can't I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't, who can't tell the right hand from the left and as many animals? So basically he's saying the Ninevites think it's messed up too. But I need to show mercy to the Ninevites. I need to show love to the Ninevites. And so this statement, if you think about it, it, reveals God's heart, doesn't it? It really does. It shows God's heart. God's heart is undivided. God simply loves. God's compassion extends to all, and not just to humans, but to all creation. God does not see division the way we do. Jonah saw a sharp dividing line between his own people and the Ninevites. Jonah saw good on his side of the line and evil on the others. God does not see the lines. Our egos draw love to draw. God's love is inclusive. It's all-encompassing. All things are one and held together in and by God's love. It is just that our old way of thinking keeps us blind to this reality. Jonah, and here it is, Jonah was completely being exposed to God's love. And it burned him. It burned him. It ticked him off. Because he couldn't, he couldn't understand. But God does allow us to decide how we will experience this love. Now, it's interesting to me, so I want to sound like semi semi educated, educated, semi-intelligible, intelligent. So I'm going to give you a theological point. If you look at the early church, and the early church is interesting with their teaching, some early church thinkers sometimes describe this love as a river of fire that flows from the heart of God. We just sang that on one of the last songs. 
To those who respond to this love with love, they experience God's love as warmth and light. For those who respond to God's love as hatred, they experience God's love as wrath. So for somebody that makes continuous choices that have led them to become more loveless, the experience of love is not something of pleasure. It's something of torture. You see, when, when I went to some of my greatest pain and I read scriptures, love your enemies. Oh, shoot, forget that. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. I justified it. Boom, boom, boom. But when God's love comes down, you just, it burns you. It can be a nice feeling, but it can purify, that burning can purify your heart if you allow it. God was not trying to kill Jonah. God was trying to kill Jonah's hatred stemming out from his false beliefs. God's fire was to work to purify Jonah, and it was painful for him. So sometimes the Holy Spirit moves in a painful way that we go, where's God? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a pain that's going on. He's working. He's trying to purify you. And so, therefore, the Apostle Paul is credible because when I go to heaven, then I want to meet this dude. I just want to go for a walk with this guy because this guy knows what he's talking about. Because can you imagine that talking to enemies, he knows how to deal with enemies. Watch this. Don't try to get revenge. Fantasy conversations for yourself. My dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, vengeance, revenge belongs to me. I will pay back, says the Lord. There's where you and I stop. Vengeance is the Lord. Yes. Death to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you got to continue to read. If you, instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. <laughs> if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Like right. By doing this, you will pile a burning coals of fire. It's interesting. Follow me on. The burning coals of fire. God's love is fire. It could be burned or it could purify and stuff. So therefore, God's love is working on that enemy. The way we think the way we process. And, and, and so don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with what? Good. So it's interesting to me, to get revenge, I become that person that I want to get revenge with. You become that. You become just as bad as they do. So all we have to do is look at the cross to know that this is how God overcomes evil. Our faulty thinkings caused us to put God to death on the cross. God returned our violence and hatred with forgiveness. This kindness given to us by God opens the opportunity for what's called atonement. It opens the opportunity for us to go from being enemies of God to accepting God's offer and love and friendship. So when we offer our friendship and love to God, it doesn't stop there. It begins there. To love and embrace our enemies. <laughs> See, the love offered sacrificially on the cross is redemptive grace. It has the power to turn, his, turn us from enemies into friends when we have a change of heart. It is atoning. The godly love expressing through grace is what brings us into at one with God and each other. 
So the story of Jonah ends with God basically inviting Jonah into his heart, into the way he sees life. And what is great about this is the Bible left it open-ended. We have no idea how it ends. You know what's interesting? You end it. We're all Jonas. Do we embrace the love of God or do we get stuck in our own way of thinking? It's up to us. We can see if God would say, is your anger really worth it? The point of the story is to show us that we all have some Jonah in us. Therefore, we are each invited to respond to God's invitation to see the world as God sees it and love the way God loves. We each will end the story of Jonah and how we respond to God's invitation to change our minds. We go from a level of thinking, our own way of thinking, to a higher conscious way of thinking, and that's where Apostle Paul talks about the renewing of one's mind. That's where transformation starts. That's where restoration starts. The way you think. Not the circumstances change. The way you process. The way you think of things. And so therefore, when you take your mind and have the mind of Christ, which Christ calls us, therefore we can see things a lot different. You know, a lot. And so this is where, if Paul, I can imagine if the Apostle Paul prayed this prayer over you. And, and, and look, Paul's got it. He goes, I ask that he will strengthen you in your inner self where no one sees. For the riches and the glory through the Spirit, I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith. As a result of having strong roots in love, I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width and length and height and depth together with all believers. I ask that you'll know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that you will be filled entirely to the fullness of God. Ooh, Paul knows how to pray. He's basically saying, lift your mind, lift your mind, get the mind of Christ. The shift that prayer is doing. In, in, it is a shift from regular human knowledge, the way I'm thinking, to a direct encounter and experience of being filled with God's love. Jesus himself, if you listen to his prayer, it's really deep. Jesus' prayers are always deep, but this is interesting because he invites us. He says this, I pray that they be one, Father, just as you and, and me and I am in you. I pray that they also will be in us. We need to be in Christ. We try to get Christ in us, but we need to be in Christ. There's a whole different level here. There's a whole different understanding. And so this is where the good news is because this is why we're doing Grace Track. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't taken Grace Track or if you want to retake it, it's fantastic. Just like God journeyed with Jonah and offered him grace after grace along the, uh, the way in order to grow up into godly love and unity, God is journeying us through life, offering us grace. After grace to help us do what is humanly impossible, to love like Christ loves. How will the Jonah in the respond to the grace being offered today to shift from one level of human knowledge that weighs you down with anger and resentment to the highest awareness which is found in having the mind of Christ 
which will allow you to see the world as Christ does without the sad division that we create. Let me close in this. The eagle is preventing us from doing this. The eagle fights. We project. We live in armor. We don't live through authenticity because the world tells us that we need to be strong. We need to be tough. We need to hide things. Wednesday morning, Jennifer goes, hey, your appointment's today. Are you looking forward to it? And I go, no, because it's humiliating. I waited nine months to get this. But if you're new to the church, let me explain to you. I have what's called full body tremors, which their movement in my entire body ever since 1968. I'm 57 years old. It's 2019. That's over 50 years that I've been living with this pain and these movements all through my body. And so this is a specialist. And uh, sure enough, this is what happens all the time. Someone comes in and says, hi, Mr. Robertson. I said, yes. And he goes, this is so-and-so. She's an intern. Would you mind if she sits in? I go, sure, no problem. Now I'm going, now I have to show my vulnerability to a complete stranger. But what am I going to tell her? No? Yes? No? <laughs> so I go in there, and she asks these questions that humiliate you. She goes, remember, dime, February and a dog. But I'm going to ask you questions. What's 7 minus 100? Then minus 7. Then minus 7. Tell me about your mom. Tell me your dad. Tell me the, the three things I told you to say. And I go, um, February, um, something. You know, you just look like you feel like an idiot. She goes, touch your nose. Do this. Okay, all this. Okay, take your shoes off. I got the Boniest, ugliest feet. And so I just go, okay, stomp, stomp. Now do this. And she said to me, which was interesting, she goes, stop compensating. You're hiding it. You've learned to compensate. I go, yeah. She goes, I need to see how bad it is. So she goes, sign, the, sign on this paper. And here's a pen. She go, and I went like this. And she goes, stop compensating. So I, I, I go, I can't do it. She goes, take your left hand. And she goes, like this, just leave it. I'm not, doing, I'm not making this happen. This happens in volunteer. I've learned to compensate. But this is how I live every single day. When I practice my sermons, my practice involves in compensating my muscle movements so they don't pull attention away from the message. And so when she, when she challenged me, my ego was just fried. So I said to her, I said, do you think I'm a candidate for the, the deep brain stimulation surgery? She said, yes. I've been waiting for that for 20 years. She goes, first we have to do, to see if it's genetic, we have to do a genetic test on you first, but it looks good. Would you mind if I videotape you as a before picture on how you were before? 
And I go, okay, no problem. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Because my focus did not go on my ego. My focus got on what if I'm healed? What if I can hold a mug? <laughs> what if I can hold a cup of coffee? What if I don't have to get stressed out going through a drive-thru and hoping the cap is not on? All that thinking, all these emotions of protecting, of hiding this pain in my life. Now this surgery is crazy because they drill a hole in your head when you're awake and they go right in your brain to maneuver and then control it by a, a little thing in your chest. And, there's a 70 to 90% reduction in your tremors. It's scary. My wife goes, are you excited? I go, no, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> you know why? My identity is in my tremor. It's who I am. I've had this for 50 years. It's how you know me, how you describe me. My, Gina, my cousin goes, Kevin, Please tell me if this works, don't ever change. And I go, I will. I will change. Because I will experience a freedom that you guys always experience. I will experience painlessness that I've always experienced. Yes, I'm going to change. The symbolism starts this way. I had to go for surgery, if that's the case. All you guys have to do is transform the way you think. Allow the word. Allow focus on beyond the anger, beyond the resentment, beyond your thinking. What the freedom would be like without resentment. How you would love without loving because of hurt. How you can be you for the very first time. That you can love just unconditionally, and you're not worried about the pains and hurts that have happened to you before. Those walls that protect you, it's a prison. It's a prison. Be free. And this is why I said in the beginning, put, Martin, put that first slide up. Sorry, Martin. He was doing such a good job. And then I, the, the first thing that God inspired, the first slide in the sermon, which I really believe this, if it comes up. This is not Martin's fault, this is my fault. I can just read it. Everybody has a deep need to be loved for who they are so they can be loved into what God's created them to be. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord bless his word.